You are listening to Wyoming Park Bible Fellowship's midweek podcast, which will be discussing last Sunday's sermon, The Baptism of Jesus from Matthew 3. I'm Becky Watson, and I'm here with Pastor John, my pastor and dad. How are you today? I'm doing really well. How are you? Good. Good. I'd like to uh, just review the message quickly. It was the entire chapter of Matthew, and we saw that uh, we talked a little bit about the kingdom of heaven. It's the first time that the word kingdom has a appeared um, explicitly in the text of Matthew. And so we spent some time talking about how the kingdom it means where God is in charge. And then um, we talked about John the Baptist, how he was like Elijah, and how he was preparing the way for the Lord, which we discovered from the Isaiah passage that John the Baptist quotes, that we're preparing the way for God himself to come. And then we saw the message that John the Baptist gave to the leaders, the established leaders of his day, about this coming one, and he, he called them a brood of vipers. And, and so there's a very antagonistic relationship right off the bat between this new kingdom that's going to come and the established leaders. And then we saw that Jesus does come to John as John had prepared the way, but John, maybe in his own mind even, was thinking of some grand entrance, and yet Jesus comes up to him, and the Bible tells us that the Spirit told John who Jesus was. He didn't recognize him from previous experience, apparently, even though they were distant cousins of sorts. Right. And then um, finally, um, Jesus says, I come to be baptized. And John is kind of surprised by all that and, and argues with Jesus, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. And then Jesus says very um, humbly, as we understand now, that he said, no, this let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then Jesus is baptized, and then we see the heavens opened, and the dove descend on Jesus, and then God's voice says, um, God himself says, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. So that's the whole flow of, of Matthew 3. And there's a lot of good things to talk about, but the first thing that I wanted to bring up, and in the message I kind of use the word in passing, I use the word hostile takeover. And um, that has a very negative connotation in our culture, of course. We always think of that in bad terms. Some, somebody's taking over some nice company by buying out its stockholders and getting rid of its management. Or you know, It's a hostile thing. It's not an agreed to thing. The it's pe- against the will of the other party. Yeah, it feels like it. the people who are already working for Company A or whoever. Or they have are, no choice in the matter. Yeah, they have, they're already own some stock in this company and all of a sudden some other company um, hostily purchases all of the other stock from people who don't care, and then all of a sudden you've lost your business and your family, and so, or your family's income, or your heritage, whatever. And so it's viewed in negative terms. So as a connotation, though, I did still kind of use it on purpose. Mm-hmm. And so what are, about that, what are, what are good things, good ways to think of it as a hostile takeover, the kingdom of heaven, and bad ways to think of it as a hostile takeover. How would you uh, best interpret the coming of the kingdom? I've also heard it described as forcefully advancing. The kingdom of heaven is for- forcefully advancing. It's like unstoppable. It's um, it's it's sort of like in that way you could think of it as a someone strong coming to save you. You know, if you're the person in need, you don't want anything to stop that Savior. But Mm. um, did you have... No, that doesn't surprise me that you would think of that. 
And that's part of the reason that you're such a good teacher because you're stealing my future sermon. Oh, so sorry. that's a, but <laughs> but that is definitely part of it, right? In in the book of Luke, I think is when is that specific phrase but it might be in Matthew. I, I get confused a little bit right now too. I need to double check. But there is that context uh, that's where a specific uh... Yes, when Jesus is talking to his people and, and, and they then um John the Baptist ironically says he asks questions whether or not you are the one. And so John has a, a period of doubt, and it'll be exciting to talk about that. But then in response to John, one of the things that Jesus says is the kingdom of heaven is violent. It's in the word for forcefully okay. advancing is hard to interpret because it is violent in a sense, but it's a, a double-edged violence. It comes with violence to whom it um, impacts, but it also is received by people who are willing to perceive it as violent to them and so it's a that's a tough one but it goes right back to the same thing how is it like a hostile takeover well yeah and we talked about this um in a different context on this on this podcast before about how uncomfortable it feels to um to come to the point of repentance and to humbly submit it it feels you know violent to you to to reach that point remember when we talked about that i remember we talked about the john um story when we were talking about that for sure it's important so thinking of the kingdom of heaven like a hostile takeover part of what makes that a good analogy to describe it is that it does feel unwanted right the for us to to our first impressions of jesus's teaching if they are, oh, what a sweet thing. I'll never have to give up my my particular favorite sins. I'll still be able to steal from the government and I'll still be able to do wrong things. Or, or for, for us to view Jesus that way as not stepping mm-hmm. on our toes, that would be really missing the point. And that, that's part of why I would use the word hostile. It's not supposed to feel comfortable. It's actually mm-hmm. our natural response to Jesus the King is to reject him. Right. We do not want somebody telling us how to live. That kind of brings, <clears throat> brings the myth to bear of... Um, Sometimes you will hear people say, if we all acted like Jesus, then people would just naturally want to come to church. It's the fact that we're sinning or we, you know, it's the fact that we're so strict with rules, whatever, right? And um, the truth is Jesus himself was rejected by the people he lived with. And so... And that wasn't just because they are prone to being crabby rejecting people right it's because jesus himself is such a scandal to our person we don't want this kind of righteousness in our presence and we you know jesus himself says do not think that i've come to bring peace i bring i'm bringing a sword here this is not going to make you feel comfortable you need to understand who i am you're not going to feel safe like in uh in the chronicles of narnia um, when the Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are explaining Aslan to um, Lucy, and Lucy says, oh, is he a tame lion? And they said, oh, no, he is not a tame lion, but he is good. Yeah. And, um, and I think we like to, 
one of the lies that Satan tells us is one of the way he distorts the truth is that Jesus is something tame and he's not, Mm. he's good. But you're like, you said, he comes with, with vent, uh, would you say comes with a sword comes with violence in a way? Yeah. It, when a person is faced with the claims of Christ Jesus and, and, we, when we accurately understand, oh man, this is gonna mess up my life. I am it's gonna not totally gonna, turn it upside I down. I do not get to keep my stuff, mm-hmm. my my favorite sins. That's the most accurate. I don't think we of would think of it in that terms. My favorite sins. We would think of it. I mean, because we wouldn't have the clarity to see them That's, as sins, uh, yeah, probably in right. that in that context. But we know it. We don't like it. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I heard. Um, Someone, a pastor, um, talk about um, somebody had read the Sermon on the Mount and had never heard of it before, and they were appalled by it. What a ridiculous set of rules! There's no way anybody you talk about over the top legalistic. That's ridiculous. Even what's going on in my heart, I don't want anything to do with it. You see, that's the natural person speaking the right mm-hmm. way. We in the Christian church are so used to the beauty of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, because we understand how it's fulfilled in Jesus, that we forget its offensiveness. It's Jesus is not a, a king coming to serve. He's a king coming to be served. And ironically, he does serve, right? Mm-hmm. He purchases for us the way into that kingdom. But unless we understand how drastically uh, holy the requirements of the king are, and unless we're afraid of that, we haven't really heard Jesus yet. And that's why all this language about from John the Baptist, you know, you brood of vipers, the axe is at the root of the tree, and his the king that's coming is like a winnowing fork. He's going to separate wheat from chaff. You know, there's all this judge, judge, judge words. But that's exactly it. Jesus is the judge of the earth. He has been assigned that role. And because he is both God and man, he has the right to judge with with perfect holiness and so so the hostile takeover it, uh, is good in that sense if you think of it as a threat because you when by god's grace we respond to the threat with receiving him and accepting him as king then it then his his burden is not heavy his yoke is light and he, he is a good yes lion. we he discover is a that it's us king. who was messed up it's our sin who hated him right. not that he was indeed hateful right. or hateable he's not a he's not a hostile person it's his grace is saving us it's just that our natural inclination is to view it as a threat and unless we recognize that we haven't come to real repentance yet it reminds me of um, once <clears throat> when I was in college. I had a um, like a de- like a debate class or something, and the professor really was one of those uh, those quintessential uh, stories you hear about um, a professor who hates Christianity, just took every opportunity to to uh, to say something mean. <laughs> it's I mean uh, in retrospect, she was not a very good professor. wasn't very good at um, her job anyway, but, um, she, she would like, you know, like, oh, you know, believing God is so ridiculous or something. And, uh, and then she kind of found out it was a Christian for some reason. And so she would kind of like make an example out of me sort of. And, and in the end, I don't know, she was trying to demonstrate something. I don't know. 
I don't want to make her sound so bad, but um, she's like, I, you know, I end up saying something like, well, we are, we are made in God's image or something like that. And she's like, so she said something really profane. She's like, so God has breasts because I have breasts. And it was like, you're just rude. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she, and she's just like, I just, I just don't see how God could be like this and, in, in, you know, sort of a problem of evil. How, how can the, all these bad things happen or whatever? And I'm not going to worship a God. that little. And for whatever reason, I had a lot of clarity in that moment. And I kind of, I think I said it, or at least I th- I'm pretty sure I said it. I said, um, but it's God's world. You know, he created the universe and it's sort of irrelevant um, that we, and in, in my head it was like, you, professor of a small yeah. college in Michigan, what you think or want God to be because it's his world he created. He can do what he wishes with it. And, um, you know, like a lot of times we want to rail against God or create him in our own image or it's, it's kind of irrelevant. I mean, it would be what he wants, even if it were evil, we, we would have no uh, recourse against him. I mean, he's the potter, we're the clay. Um, so, you know, it's just a, uh, it's kind of a foolishness on top of um, rebellion. Yeah, for sure. You you make a good point that, that the fact that God is good also is really awesome because there isn't any rule above God that would have made it that any God that was had to be a good God. I mean, God is by his character good already. And so that's just the way it is. But if he was a capricious evil or um, somehow not kind and he wanted to just torture us for his own entertainment as the creator, there isn't anybody who has a right to say, no, you can't. Right. <laughs> right. And so so it is especially rebellious to rebel against the fact that he is also actually really good too by his own yeah by his own character so so i think it's kind of helpful to view the kingdom of heaven in strong terms like that that this is not the the biggest danger that we want to avoid is that somebody would just think of it as um a rider on your life insurance policy or a an additional um lucky charm at your door or something that doesn't change you radically from the inside. Or a useful business plan. You know? Yeah, it's or just an like augment. A... that in God's kingdom is not something that fits into us and God becomes our servant or a new revenue stream or something like that, right? God has to be, Jesus has to be king and Lord and treasure. And so if I have a particular uh, social... Uh, moral viewpoint on a particular issue, um, you know, say, I don't know, just pick something, the hot button of our day, say something about uh, the environmental movement. If I have a particular viewpoint on that, that Jesus better measure up to my goals or my interpretation of global warming or else I'm going to reject him, we have gotten it all backwards, right? He's the king and his teaching about uh, conservation and taking care of the planet and being stewards, that's the teaching that has to win, not my own. And I'm sure you can fill in a lot more volatile issues than that as an example. 
Um, go ahead. I heard uh, <clears throat> something. It's, it's like, you know how the phrase, God is more conservative than conservatives are, and he's more liberal than liberals are um, on a political yeah, sure. spectrum. But important to when you to recognize when you say that, that's because he's holy and set apart and knows all the things. It's not like he's in in the middle right. somewhere. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah, he's not, not the centrist. He's not like the true <laughs> yeah. center of politics. He's like yeah. totally, yeah. you know, and I think that's important for us to recognize that it's a totally different paradigm and plane we're talking yeah. about. I've uh, learned from Tim Keller a little bit about that, that it's interesting to interpret both conservatism and liberalism in their classical senses of the word as both being opposite but equally wrong ways to try to reach God, <laughs> right? The conservative right. thinks that they can get to God by meeting the rules and that if they can somehow meet his legalistic standards, then God owes it to them to bless them. The liberal says, I don't care. There's no God at all. I'm not going to do anything with his rules. And Christianity is neither, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't come and say, here are the rules, follow them. Right. Nor does he come and say, hey, it doesn't matter what you do. They don't matter. No, Jesus comes and is is something that's neither but not both either what he does is he says the rules matter but i will pay yeah i will fulfill the rules rules. and so i will give you my righteousness i will be liberal and give you grace if you but trust me and i will fulfill all the requirements the most legalistic requirement of the extreme conservative wing right and so he's neither political nor non-political he's neither conservative nor liberal he's god who offers himself god who experiences evil for us in order to overcome it and so it's a pretty amazing thing and so jesus is that kind of a awesome king who deserves to be worshipped and that's why those who follow jesus are chief repenters yeah because they believe the rules matter, but they recognize that they break them all the time and, and that there's forgiveness in Christ. And our, our, our repenting is based on, our, our, our living is based on gratitude for the work already done, not as a means to gain that merit. Right. And so then now we're motivated um, by a whole new way of thinking. I've used the analogy before. I was talking to mom the other day about it. And um, I said, you know, if there was a law that you had to make a hundred free throws. And if you did a hundred free throws in a row, you get to go to heaven. We would stress and practice and try so hard. And some of us might actually do it, but it would be super stressful all the time. Cause if I miss one, I'm going to hell, right? It's that kind of a pressure. But if somebody else says, no, I've already made the 100 free throws for you. You don't have to even do it, but I want you to shoot free throws because of the love for the game. Then I can shoot free throws and maybe get 90 out of 100. But they actually were joyful because I was so in that sort of sense. I I guess I would add on to that is that in your analogy, which is getting increasingly ridiculous. um, But the uh, we would find that that shooting free throws fills our heart, this is the right way to We'd live. We'd be doing it for the love of the game. Well, and, we wouldn't know. Yeah. We don't merely do it out of gratitude. We right. also find this is what I was created to do yeah. to shoot free throws. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Because sometimes I think um, that this, when you were more focusing so hard in the gospel, and we say, okay, but why do we do the right thing? And we say, oh, we, we're just so thankful. Yes, for sure. Um, but also, Christ innate the grace enables us to do good works 
because that's what he created us to do. Yes, yeah, so in his yeah, image, like right. that is that is our purpose, and yeah. that is where we find joy and yeah. and um and that is like where we find satisfaction in our life, which is something a lot of people are looking for. Yeah. We all are looking for. Right. You know? The king says he'll come and I'll give you life and you'll. That's life where abundant, abundant life is. Yeah. Abundant life is in right of uh, living a righteous life. It's not to avoid following the yeah. rules. It's to help me follow these rules. I can't do it, and then you truly are uh, set free from your slavery to sin. For sure, and and to follow my analogy, um, we enjoy and understand that the free throws process is its own reward. It's a glorious right. way to live. And we win the championship. Right. And and someday we'll be able to shoot 100 because he's going to bring us to that perfection someday. Right. But it's not my job in the meantime. So it's a super cool, and that's the difference between the all law, all grace. It's, it's and if both. We, and when we miss, it's like, I'm not surprised yeah. that's, who I am, but I'm going to try again, right? I know what I did wrong. I'll keep working on it. Um, so that was fun. <laughs> but the the going back to the hostile takeover, there is a, a there is a danger in viewing Christianity through those terms, and um, we talked about it a little bit in the in the discussion time Sunday. Did you have a, a thought of why would those terms not be very good terms to use in? today's world well if the if the means of um the hostile if the means is the hostile takeover is not the end which is god's kingdom um they're not good means you know and it's also god who's doing the takeover not us right what we're afraid of is that human beings will will borrow that rhetoric and justify some sort of an earthly governmental power base and to view that, hey, yeah, there is a lot of evil in the world and we got to get up and let's roll and mm-hmm. we're going to take over and we're going to bring the sword to the battle and it's we're, we're it's going to be a hostile gonna takeover. Abortion clinic or we're something. going to hostile takeover and shame on us, right, if we would say that, that the the teaching of Jesus somehow gives us permission to assault a public facility like happened last week at our right. Capitol building and um, and use the name of Jesus to justify the action of a violent and rebellious behavior. And, uh, uh, and you know, I know people are going to interpret that from different lens. And if you believe certain things, then it's harder for you to separate the action from the justification of it. But uh, it it wasn't a uh, under biblical descriptions, as I understand, it, it was not just war theory, right? It was it was anger and violence, and it was it's the it was closer to, and even if you don't want to believe that um, from a political perspective. We could all stand back and condemn the Crusades, for example, because somebody took up the sword in the name of Jesus. You're talking and, about the medieval. Yes, Christ, right. Yeah. They took up that sword in the name of Jesus and tried to um, justify the advancement of their, their earthly kingdoms. Right. And Jesus will have no such thing, right? I mean, even his own disciples were frustrated that he wasn't trying to become right. a political leader at the time. Right. And that even could be argued that's why Judas betrayed him, because Judas caught on that he wasn't going to take over and do mm-hmm. the power move. 
And so Jesus is not that kind of, so it's a hostile takeover of our soul. It's a hostile takeover through spiritual rebirth. It's when Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not a human-made pressure. It's not a political pressure. Again, Paul would say in Corinthians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't fight in the same way that the world does. We fight strongholds and ideas that stand that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And so we are not... Um, physical, political forces, right? At this point in time, Christianity is all cultures around the world changing the lives of people one at a time. And the gospel causes us to be better citizens and to love our neighbor and to do justly and to walk humbly with our God. And so there can be actions that flow out of our gospel, but it's not the thing. And so in that sense, I would really strongly argue against borrowing hostile takeover terminology to justify man politics. You know, the justification that people would use in that scenario, that it, it, it reveals a fundamental mistrust of God's ability to do the hostile takeover. Because people think God needs me to do this thing, which is a sin, mm-hmm. like either break the law or... Hurt, hurt another person right. or or um some vigilante activity of some even sorts. slander yeah. or some sort they the like it's justified because it, if like if i don't then god's gonna lose and um our god is so much bigger than that yeah. you know um we don't need to worry and we don't need to you know we're really setting ourselves up as wiser than god you know i know better than you i know like you said, like Judas, I know what to do. And that's a really, really bad place. That's that's Eve. That's did God really say scenario. And um, uh, I've been thinking a lot about that because um, there are people, there's kind of a popular movement right now for people who grew up in evangelicalism who are faced with decisions that the evangel American evangelical tribe are making or statements or something and they find themselves disagreeing on, on matters of politics or, or other other issues perhaps some of them most of them non-essentials mm-hmm. right and then they are so discouraged by this and embarrassed and everything that they um, are deconstructing, their faith. This is something Steve wrote about in his blog today, I think. Um, And I feel uh, I'm grateful to God for his grace to help me not feel the pressure of that. Because whenever I um, I was talking to Eric about, why do I not feel so much burden of the cultural, cultural Christianity that it would actually shake my faith to see others you know, my tribe make these, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe poor choices in some areas. And I think part of it is, is God's helping me constantly focus on my relationship with him. I'm looking to Jesus, not to other people, right? You can't look to other people. Even good faithful leaders are not Jesus. And we, we cannot look to them, um, for our salvation. And then also, when we are faced with when people disappoint us to recognize that we're all sinners and that um 
our community of faith, our brothers and sisters in Christ, is a cross-cultural community that it's people all over the world, not just American evangelicals, right? Mm. Um, if you, in fact, if it were only American evangelicals, even the ones faithful to Scripture, we have certain emphases that are out of whack, and we need our brothers and sisters in other cultures to help us be more balanced and understand, have a more full picture of who God is and what the church is like. So, you know, like, it doesn't have to rock your faith when people you know abandon the faith or or uh, or do something wrong in the name of Jesus. Um, you can grieve about that and pray for them. But your faith is not on that sinking sand, you know. Right. It's in Christ alone. Yeah, Does that make, make sense? Yeah, you, know what I'm you make a lot of good points, and there's so many pieces to that that um, some of it, I guess I should leave to Steve's blog. <laughs> there's so many variables on the on the table, but I, I would go back to we stay out of trouble when we center on the gospel, and it's possible, like you say, for other human beings to mess up. Remember, even the apostle Peter was rebuked by Paul because he for a while was under the pressure of other people to conform to a Judaizing influence that and uh, and and Paul says to Peter you know you used to hang out with the Gentiles but when these people came from the circumcision group these these people from your history from your tribe right in a lot of ways and they put pressure on you to withdraw you started to withdraw from Gentiles because they weren't conforming to the rules of the tribe the tribe you the grew up with, stuff. yes, and he's in. In Paul says you you broke the gospel when you did that. You you um you you sh- you demonstrated that these other people for whom Christ died, these Gentile fellow believers who had also received the Holy Spirit, you demonstrated that they were lessers, less than somehow because of the pressure from your tribe, and Peter responds well. We, we discover from the rest of the Bible, and, and Peter even acknowledges Paul's words as Scripture. So here Peter, who has, who has been almost a flawless leader since, since Pentecost, since before, you know, when Christ rose from the dead, Peter was restored after denying Jesus, and he, his humility of his first big failure, the denial, seems to be non-existent and his faith is so strong remember he fell asleep that night with the prisoners mm-hmm. and they they had to the angel had to wake him up to rescue him and and so peter becomes a great rock of faith but even he was pressured by other people and he stumbled a bit but the the real point i'm trying to make is the, it was clearly a stumbling associated with what the gospel meant and so that's the rebuke, and that's what we need to be careful of, is that when we think that somehow the gospel is, it needs political power in order to do its work, then we've missed the gospel. We've it redefined it. at all. It's Jesus' work as the substitute to take all, you know, like we said, conservative, liberal, it's neither. It's all of God's conservatism, the law, is met out in Jesus and all of God's liberalism is given out through his blood to anyone who believes, rich or poor, great or small, black or white, here or there, right? They, that we can all be changed by that gospel. And so I guess I would just say that, that the, I, I, 
to everything you said, the best place is to stay in the gospel and let those other differences be secondary and, and try to learn from one another and try to understand and, and not let our tribes define us. You know? And not to be, to not be discouraged by the, the outside events of the world because our true end, our true goal is, is the kingdom of heaven. And is the kingdom of heaven forcefully advancing even in communist China? Yeah. It is. It, yeah, and you, in, could, yeah, you and, could argue that God's kingdom seems to advance best in cultures that reject it most. And in early Rome, right? I mean, uh, all of the godlessness of those leaders and the persecutions, you know, the people were made bold by God's grace. And so as a nation, we have been certainly blessed by not being persecuted that way. And maybe these events will turn to greater and greater persecution. I'm so brokenhearted that um, I'm afraid that when and if I become persecuted, it will be for dumb reasons. It won't even be the gospel. You know, I, I so much would rather go to jail because I said Jesus is the only way to be saved. But I'm afraid, looking out the window, that the reason I'm going to go to jail is because of my view on marriage or some view about whether or not... Um, this action should have been taken or not should have been taken in some kind of a demonstration rally somewhere. Is it, you know, this protest or that protest, and I'm going to get lumped in with some other nut and people are going to put me in jail as a nut picking activity because somebody somewhere was carrying Jesus saves in an AK 47 at the right. same time, you know, and it's, it's just so was, sad to me that Jesus gets lost even in my suffering, if that's what happens. So that's why I've been so I try so careful to stay on the gospel and not be political in my comments because I want to be persecuted for the right reason, not just because I'm misinformed by whatever media choice I use. I was intending to turn this conversation into a more hopeful place, but you did not oh, no, follow we, me there. <laughs> well, I was trying to not go into the political. How late are we? Yeah, anyway, are we thirty-four th minutes. Oh, okay. Well, the uh, we need to give mercy to our audience. Well, yeah, I just I think though that <clears throat> my point is the the kingdom of heaven is is coming, and we do not need to lose heart, and we don't need to fear. Amen. I mean, the it's gates really, of hell will not prevail. A horse is, uh, you know, a vain hope for deliverance. You yeah. know, like despite its great strength, it cannot save. We those who put in the uh, are their hope in the Lord, the, the eyes of the Lord on them. So. You know, like we have good things to look forward to because not because of anything outside of ourselves, but things that are happening within us and in eternity. And those are real pleasures and real safeties, real refuge. I think that um, I think that sometimes we can get so scared of the future, but we're like missing like yeah, the, the the truth and the <clears throat> grace that's that's coming to um yeah jesus is making his name great and if i don't know how the world's going for sure but if what god's been doing in my own heart is any indication of what god's doing in the world then his grace is powerful you yeah. know i'm learning to you know it's kind of embarrassing to admit that you would uh, that you would weep at your own sermon but, but you do it every week. Well, almost. <laughs> but at the end of the message from yesterday, you know, when I was contemplating again that, that Jesus um, 
He says, even though John, the theologian, knew I should be baptized. This, this is, you should be baptizing me. He wanted to switch it around. And Jesus said, no, no, I'm going to be the one who's going to lay down for you. And then the realization that when God says, this is my, um, my beloved son, my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased, that that's a blessing for me. Mm-hmm. that I have been buried with Christ and that I'm going to be greeted someday. The heavens are going to open for me either when Jesus comes back or when I pass away. And there's going to be a, the voice, the same person's voice mm-hmm. saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And if that doesn't change your view on life, man, I, I can't wait to live for the king now. right? I right. want to be one of his advanced troops in the land, mm. not to borrow the military. Mm-hmm. Um uh, metaphor, but anyway, so I think we should probably close in prayer now. Father, thank you so much for King Jesus. Thank you for the stories of kingship from the Bible that help us understand that he's like David, but so much greater. And that we can be like Jonathan, David's close friend who, who really gave up his rights to the kingdom. He was Saul's son and he had every right but he loved his king and gave up all of his rights to be his own king and embrace King David and so in that same kind of way we as your children we embrace King Jesus the more the greater David the perfect son of David right and and we thank you that you are our king in Jesus name amen Thank you for listening to our midweek sermon discussion. For links to all of our um, sermons, both videos and podcasts, please check out our website, wpbiblefellowship.org.